whenever you do a role that's never been done in a company before, there's no blueprint. There might be a chance that they decide it's not for that company. You might fail, right? There's a lot at stake. But on the other side, it was an opportunity to build something at a company like Netflix. Yeah. And that was a chance where I was like, I want this. And even if I fail, so be it. But like, I'm never going to get an opportunity to do something like this again. Yeah. yeah. Welcome to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores exceptional career success stories, inspiring and insightful personal brand journeys that answer the question, are you coffee or are you Starbucks? Fascinating conversations with leaders about their career breakthroughs from entertainment, tech, media, and more. You'll learn how they've turned up the volume on their brand to unlock success. Firsthand, uncensored, and real, as told by people who've been there and plenty of inspiration and practical tools to help you lead with your brand every day as you drive towards your next career breakthrough. And now, here's your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Hey everybody, Jason Patria here, and you are listening to the Lead With Your Brand podcast, which is the podcast for folks just like you who are looking to turn up the volume, show your value, and lead with your brand to your next career breakthrough. I have a fabulous guest on the show today. It is Amir Moini from Netflix's communications team focusing on employer branding. But before we get to Amir, I want to talk a little bit about my travels. Now, you all know that I consider myself a jet setter, and sometimes, frankly, I'd rather be up in the air. In fact, I just got back from Chicago, and two weeks of back-to-back travel, I was was working with one of my clients teaching all about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Now, when I was waiting on my flight to take off at Chicago O'Hare, I pulled out that Hemispheres magazine, right? The United In-Flight magazine. We had a little bit of a delay, and I opened it up, and there was an article from their head of human resources, Kate Gibo, and it was talking all about their new brand campaign. In fact, I didn't realize this. It's United Airlines' first brand campaign in over a decade. It is called Good Leads the Way. And when I just looked at the headline and looked at the photos, I recalled having seen that new TV commercial several times. And it was like a really great feel-good commercial about how United is good for the environment and good from people. And it even had flashes of flight attendants and flight crew taking care of passengers and folks at employee resource groups event. And I thought, hey, that's a great campaign, right? It's very pro-social. But at the end of the day, what I realized is it doesn't matter that I can recall that advertisement. It's really about what we see and hear United Airlines doing. And when I looked through that article, it made me think, you know, it isn't just an ad campaign. Their new brand is a way of life for them. In fact, they've made all of these huge commitments to going green. They've made commitments to hiring and training new pilots with a commitment for women and people of color. And then it made me think again, you know what? Do I like United because of an ad campaign? Or is it because one of the reasons I picked up that in-flight magazine was I got a push notification on my phone saying that they were holding the flight five minutes to make sure that some passengers who had a tight connection 
were still able to come onto the plane. And then that made me think I had previously been speaking at a conference in Las Vegas and had to get to Chicago. Well, didn't have to get to Chicago. I wanted to get to Chicago a little bit early for the weekend to party at market days with my friends and family. And I remember I was speaking at the conference on a Friday at the very last session of the conference. And there were kind of limited flights to get to Chicago in time to still be able to go out at night. Now, of course, I went to Google Flights and there were a couple of direct flights that were super cheap. But when I looked at the airlines, and I'm not going to say who they were, I immediately had an ick factor because all I've heard about them is that they're horrible, right? All I've seen on the news for the past several months during summer is their delayed flights and passengers stuck on tarmacs. And suddenly I thought to myself, you know what? I'm going to still take a United flight. And yes, I'm a million mile flyer with them and a United 1K. But at the end of the day, I didn't need a quick flight for anything on in terms of status. It was really just about being able to enjoy myself. Well, you know what? Instead of going on one of those other carriers at a cheaper ticket with a direct flight, I decided, you know what, I'm going to fly on United, even though I have to make a layover because I've missed the last direct flight. I would rather get in a little bit later and do a layover because I knew that United was going to take care of me just like they were taking care of those passengers who they were holding our flight a few minutes to make sure that they could make that connection. And it made me think even further about all of these interactions I've had all summer, like sitting, getting ready to board to go to London when the flight was a little bit delayed. And the pilot actually came out and apologized to everyone. And he walked past me and asked me what seat I was sitting in. And when I showed him on the app, he told me he loved that seat and was taking his family in that exact same row next week when he went on vacation. And it suddenly dawned on me, you know what? They can do an ad campaign about good leads the way, but ultimately it's about their actions and behaviors. Their ad campaign isn't getting me to spend a little bit more money or even take a longer flight. It's the actions and behaviors that they're demonstrating that are truly saying that good leads the way. Remember, your advertisement doesn't count unless you back it up with actions and behaviors. Quite simply, it's easy to have your great elevator pitch, and it's easy to talk about your brand attributes. It's easy to put a certificate or your college degree hanging on the wall. But you know what? Just because you have a Harvard diploma or a diploma from Wharton hanging on your wall in your office... When you go into a meeting, if you're late and you don't listen to people and you cut people off and you talk over them, your brand isn't going to a prestigious university. Ultimately, your brand is being a jerk because your brand is how you operate. How you operate, what people see you do and hear you say is what defines how you lead with your brand. So as you work on your professional brand, Remember, it's great for you to define it, but ultimately, you've got to live and lead with it.
Well, we've got an amazing guest on the show today. It is Amir Mowini, who is part of Netflix's communications team focusing on employer branding. Now, he's born and raised in Boston, Massachusetts, and is the author of the book, 22 Life Lessons by Someone More Effed Up Than You. He's also a writer and upcoming director specializing in the horror genre. We'll be back in just a few moments with Amir Mowini. For over 25 years, Jason has coached, trained, and developed thousands of leaders and executives, helping them achieve their next career breakthrough. He's a featured speaker at global conferences and companies to help everyone bring their best authentic self to work, show their value, and lead with their brand every day. Get more tips and tools at leadwithyourbrand.com. And we are back. I have a spectacular guest with us today. It is Amir Moini. Amir, what is going on? Hey, how's it going? I'm doing well. How are you? It is spectacular. So, Amir, you are in the communications space. You do all sorts of amazing things around branding yourself. So tell me, when you first introduce yourself and meet people, how do you explain who it is that you are and what you do? Yeah, I mean, I think I have two areas. One is I'm on the communications team at Netflix, and I work on employer branding. And that's really the storytelling around a company's workplace culture and their employees across social media platforms, including podcasts. And the second one is I'm also an up and coming, you know, first time filmmaker and also a writer. So more the creative end of it as well. Ooh, spectacular. So you are uh, fully in the Hollywood business, right? Uh, both on the creative <laughs> so. side as, as well as, uh, as the platform and, uh, and the corporate side behind it. So Amir, talk to me, you know, how did you even get into this business? How did you come to LA in the first place? Yeah, I mean, when I reflect back on it, it's so wild to think because as a kid, my dream was to be in Hollywood and work making movies or being on some side of that element to it. And I remember with my best friend, her name is Amanda, we would sit in a hammock and we had a phone book and we would go to the section that said film and we would call numbers and say, like, hi, I want to make a movie. Like, how do I do it? <laughs> so, And these are probably like companies that have no ability to do it maybe their video rental stores back in the day whatever <laughs> and i used to make you know really terrible horror movies and i would cast my family and my friends and we would write scripts and even when we're you know trying to change camera angles we'd run to the other side of the street and stop recording and switch so it was always a childhood dream to be doing something related to entertainment and when I finished Teach for America after college, I bought a one-way ticket to Los Angeles and I had, you know, a couple thousand dollars to my name and it was sort of, let's try this. And if it doesn't work, then I have to go back home and figure out something else. So I was living on an air mattress in someone's random apartment that I found through <laughs> Craigslist. The rent was $400 a month. Uh, I was riding the bus everywhere. I was standing outside of Whole Foods asking people to donate to nonprofits, including EQCA. <laughs> that was one of my first jobs. <laughs> right, which is Equality California for all of our listeners. Yes. 
and it, you know, it got down to the wire. It was, I was down to less than $50 to my name. And I even remember one time, you know, missing the bus and having to walk miles because I couldn't afford a taxi and my phone died. And so there were definitely a lot of hard moments. And then right when it was about time to go home, that's when I got a job at the Los Angeles LGBT Center. And I was able to stay and sort of build my career within nonprofit development. And that's actually how I met you when you were involved in that organization. And from And from there, you know, that led to Netflix because Netflix was one of our corporate partners. And for over a year, I was able to work with their LGBT pride group and I learned about their culture and it was really exciting. So I essentially met with some of the people and I was like, well, here are my experiences and I don't know where I fit exactly in this company, but I'd love to talk about, you know, what's the best option And they decided that the experiences of fundraising and recruiting were very, very similar, despite not having the experience on paper. But that's how I went into my interviews. I was like, look, I don't have the same experience as a recruiter from Google or a recruiter from this company or that company. But what I can give you is a diversity in experience, right? I'm coming from nonprofit backgrounds where you have to be really scrappy and tenacious and so forth. And I think by positioning myself as someone, you know, in that way, that actually made me more desirable as a candidate and I was able to get the job. Yeah. And then from there, you know, now I'm here. And the rest is history. But so let's let's style back because, you know, people come up to me and talk to me and ask for advice all of the time, Amir, on, you know, I want to switch industries, right? And and to me, moving from kind of the nonprofit space into not only what I would maybe call the corporate space or the for-profit space, but right, really for a game-changing organization, right? That, that is a streaming platform and changing the way that we, that we, uh, that we consume storytelling seems like a really big leap. So take me back, you know, how, how is it that this happened? Was this something really strategic on your end or you, you seized some opportunities? Talk to me a little bit about that. I was relentless in terms of (laughs) meeting people, networking. I mean, the minute I touched down in LA, I put on a suit and rode a bus from Hollywood to Santa Monica to go to some event. And that it was a LGBT networking type event that I found online. It was free to register. So I was able to meet a couple people that way. And every time I would meet someone, I would ask to get coffee close to where they work. And I would always ask them to introduce me to three more people. Mm. And it kind of was a domino effect where I was able to meet multiple people. And and I think I got lucky where the first person I met was a really influential person in the city. And he became a mentor and still is a mentor to me, actually, after all these years. So that was really helpful. Yeah. And then I also used to network and volunteer at uh, LGBT nonprofit galas. And the interesting thing about that is that you essentially get to be in the same room as people that can afford the $2,000, $2,500 ticket, Yeah, but you get to go for free. So I'm doing all the work and the commitment of volunteering, but at the same time, there's always an opportunity to speak to someone or to get to know someone. So I think that was also an interesting foot in the door. And I even had business cards made back then because it wasn't, (laughs) you know, still a thing back then. And it, it just had my name, my number, and my personal email. Like, it didn't have anything about what I did because I didn't do anything yet. So that was just, <laughs> that was all I had. 
So, so, talk, so yeah. to me, talk to me, you're at these nonprofit galas, right? Like you've mm-hmm. been on the committees, you've done all of this stuff. Now you're at like our, our rubber chicken dinner event. So, you know, the I, rubber I, chicken I, dinner, I, I know, <laughs> the right? infamous. I mean, we go to these events all of the time and, and I see volunteers, but it's not like everyone approaches me. So talk to me, what was your process? Like, how did you interact with people in a way that endeared them to you or helped you build a relationship more than, you know, here's your silent auction form? Yeah, I mean, I, I would just try to find authentic moments where it made sense. You know, if I saw someone with a name tag at a certain company that I was interested in learning more, I always approached it from curiosity. And I think people like to help others. They like to talk about their career and give advice and so forth. So I think when you come at it from that approach where you're just looking to learn from someone, they're much more willing to engage with you if they don't know you. Mm. Because it's not a huge commitment on their part. They're really just able to speak for 15 to 30 minutes if you're having coffee or five minutes if you're at an event. And they'll feel like they did something, which they did. It's helpful. And then at the same time, they're not committing to something that is, you know, too time consuming, given that they're so busy and have a lot going on in their life. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so talk to me, then you get to Netflix and, and Mm -hmm. so how, how have you sort of moved up at Netflix? I mean, obviously you said they kind of took a chance on you, but you had painted the picture of these great transferable skills right from mm-hmm. the fundraising space you've been at netflix for uh for several years now so so talk to me about your growth trajectory there yeah i've i've been at netflix for six and a half years now so it's been a, a long time and i started in recruiting and then we noticed there was a need for building out employer brand which wasn't a thing yet at the time back in 2016 so on the side, I was doing it along with a group of other people in sort of a committee thing that we put together. And ultimately, when they opened a full-time role to do this work, they asked if I wanted to do it. And I was kind of surprised because the, the requirements were a little bit above what I was qualified for. So I was like, oh, me? You want me to do this? And <laughs> I reflected on it. And I think there was a huge risk associated, right? Because whenever you do a role that's never been done in a company before, there's no blueprint there might be a chance that they decide it's not for that company. You might fail, right? There's a lot at stake. But on the other side, it was an opportunity to build something at a company like Netflix. Yeah, And that was a chance where I was like, I want this. And even if I fail, so be it. But like, I'm never going to get an opportunity to do something like this again. So I went for it. And, you know, Three years in, it was a growing function. And, you know, there were definitely really a lot of challenges along the way. It was, it felt like swimming upstream at times, trying to create something, you know, within a company like that. Because whenever you create a function within a company, you're creating more work for other people that they didn't have bandwidth for. So you have to be really influential. You have to create workflows. You have to create systems. And you're essentially integrating into something that's already a smooth running machine. So you really have to do it in like a smart way. And I think it worked over time. And then eventually they moved me into the communications team because they realized that this type of work was more communications focused. And when I joined the comms team two and a half years ago, that's when the work became a lot bigger, more cross-functional. We were able to do larger campaigns so I've really enjoyed it. And I'm, um, yeah, still, you know, very challenged and always learning new things. It, it hasn't gotten old, which is great. 
Yeah. So, uh, Amir, talk to me a little bit about you. You shared about this whole need to influence people when you're basically asking them to do more work, right? Or or do yeah. things that, that kind of disrupt their current process. Give me an example of one of those situations where you kind of had to go up and work with someone who was maybe a little resistant, but you were really able to win them over. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, you know, historically, there's always been at least one person who's um, cautiously optimistic about, you know, something like employer brand or whatever it might be. And you have to use a data and insights to drive it. And B, you just have to have a steady beat of the drum. So I think with, you know, someone who was skeptical or cautiously optimistic, it was just continually, you know, putting in the work, showing the results of the work, not giving up. And then over time, they begin to see like there's a there's a change in perspective that happens over time. And eventually they kind of come around and they start to believe in it as well. But I, I think it's not giving up. It's being persistent, being relentless, as I talked about before. Yeah. Um, and really letting the work speak for itself. I, I think in the face of, you know, people not believing in something. It's just doing the work, putting your head down and and not letting that phase you Mm -hmm. if you really believe in it. And then once you have results to show, show it loudly, make sure people see it. You know, you, you have to internally brand your work as much as you do externally. And I think that's really important too. Yeah. Now, Amir, talk to me. You are also an author. You wrote the the book 22 Life Lessons by someone more effed up than you. So talk to me about where you found the time to even write a book and and, and what (laughs) can the readers uh, learn from it? Yeah, I mean, I've thought of the idea of writing a book for many years, and I actually tried a couple times and it didn't go anywhere. So I was thinking of writing a book after my experience in Teach for America I, you know, was thinking of writing a book of poetry. And then those two attempts at writing a book ended up actually being incorporated into this book. So at least it wasn't for nothing. And I wanted to create a self-improvement kind of book that you could read in a day where it was more relatable. And it's really for someone, I would say, who's in their 20s. And going through the motions, you know, I wrote the book when I was 30. So even looking back, like when I read it now, it feels slightly outdated. It was in the middle of the beginning of the pandemic. So I I wrote it in the style of like, how you can do this during a pandemic. But, you know, at the same time, I was, I was wondering, you know, should I pull it back? Should I take it off? But I was like, no, that's like a moment in time of where I was at. And who knows, maybe when I'm 40, I I write a book about my 30s. And when I'm 50, I write a book. Maybe I'll do a book a decade. That's kind of what I'm committing to. Yeah. But if anything, it was a really cathartic experience. And it was interesting to revisit traumatic or tough events that I went through in the past with a different lens as, as an adult. You know, I thought I was over something that I went through at the age of 22. But sitting down to, like, think about it and rewrite it and and revisit it, that was a really interesting experience where it shined light in areas that weren't fully healed yet. Yeah. And so I I found it to be a very healing experience. And, you know, I don't really care about book sales or this or that, but when even just some people reached out to me saying, this chapter really spoke to me, or I felt really seen, 
knowing that somebody else went through X or Y, I was like, okay, my job is done. Like if I could even make one person feel better, then I did, I did a good job and I, I'm happy with it. <laughs> if one person feels uh, less effed up than you, right? Uh, yeah. Going back, going back, going back to the title. So talk to me a little bit about being a kid growing up in, in Boston, right? Right. I know you said you were, you were obsessed with, with wanting to work in, in Hollywood, but what are some of the experiences that kind of impacted and, and changed who you are and maybe what your brand is today. Yeah, I mean, I love New England. I'm I'm a New England boy at heart. You know, there's nothing like the summer or fall during then. But I, I grew up um, with, you know, a family that was very blended. So my dad immigrated here from Iran in 1979. So I grew up in an entirely Persian household. And at the same time, you know, we also have people from all walks of life in our family. I would say my high school years were weirdly some of my greatest years. I, I still am best friends with all of the people that I went to high school with. And we were notorious for being goofy and causing pranks and being rambunctious. We never drank. We never did drugs. It was always just us like that. But I think we all had somewhat difficult home lives going on at the time. And we escaped mm. through that humor. Yeah. So I think that's one thing that I'm really proud about myself is that I think as we become adults, we lose that light and playful side of us. Mm. And that's something that I've made, I've worked really hard to keep. And I think that creates, it just creates a sense of authenticity and energy that, that I'm glad that I've held on to, I would mm. say. So let's talk a little bit about your brand as a creative, as a business leader. Amir, give me three words that describe your brand. Yeah, I, you know, I've actually never thought about this. So I'm, I'm glad that I'm on this podcast because <laughs> it was an interesting exercise. But I, I would say the first one is definitely, I really do operate from a place of authenticity. But what comes with that, Ooh. I think, is that you can be polarizing. Yeah. Because... When you are truly yourself, that means you're consistent in how you show up among people and places. And you don't tailor yourself based on the person or the situation. And that means there might be some people that you rub the wrong way or it, they're not for you. And, and that's fine. I think it sets you back temporarily. But in the long term, if you're truly yourself, mm. you'll go further than you ever would if you were being fake. So I, I would say that's a very intrinsic you know, I'm very mm. self-reflective. I'm very self-motivated. Um, I'm very loyal to my integrity. I do a lot of introspection. So I, I think really listening to my intuition, to my gut, um, that's also something that I operate by. So I would say those yeah. are the three. So tenacious, authentic, and intrinsic. So yeah. Amir, talk to me a little bit about the authenticity piece you said that can be a little bit polarizing. So, so what is authentically you that either people love or maybe sometimes they don't love? I don't even know because I'm just me. I don't think about it strategic. <laughs> like I even think of the question, how do you, like, what's your strategy for being authentic? And I'm like, there is no strategy. You just operate as you are. And it's as simple as that for me. I, I've never actually thought about it. So I just show up how I am and what I feel. And I kind of just operate from that mindset. And again, it's, it's not for everybody and, and that's okay. But I think for me, I just try to do what feels right to me. And yeah, I want to make sure that my goals are self-motivated and not 
needing validation from others or doing things for the, from the pressure of others. So I think a lot of times we feel a lot of pressure from others and from society and there's just expectations. And I try to really hone in on like, what do I need in this moment or want? So, so talk to me, how to, how, uh, you know, how have you managed those times that who you are just doesn't work for other people? I'm just, I accept it. It's okay. You know, you're not going to be liked by everybody. And I think that was hard at first. You know, you get in your head a little bit and you have something called an identity quake. You're like, what's wrong with me? Am I a bad person? Like, why doesn't this person (laughs) like me? But I think as I get older, I'm okay with that because I have such a strong support system of family, of friends, of colleagues, of, you know, my personal network. And, And I think that keeps me rooted where... I feel validated, loved, and supported. So if there is someone where it's not a match, it's okay. If you even yeah. think about yourself, you probably know people where you're, you, you just don't vibe with them. Your energy is off. It just, it's not a fit. And I think it's super unrealistic to think that you would get along with every single person or, or have a complete organic, seamless chemistry with every single person. Yeah. So I kind of just shrug it off and I, I still respect them, you know, and I'll still talk to them, but it, I'm okay with it feeling not perfect and that's okay. Yeah. So tenacious, authentic, intrinsic, have those been sort of brand attributes of you your entire life or how have they maybe evolved with different experiences and, and the like? I would say they've always been that way. I was actually telling a friend a story the other day where when I was 10 years old, I went to a community swimming pool and they had a jacuzzi, but you had to be 16 to use it. And the lifeguard cut me a deal. She was like, all right, if you do a hundred laps in the pool, you can go in the jacuzzi for five minutes. (laughs) And I was like, deal. And I literally spent like all afternoon doing a hundred laps. You know, even someone came and like dropped off food for me because I was not giving up. And she was shocked. She was shocked that I finished the hundred laps. And I was like, okay, do I get to use the jacuzzi now? Like I just, once I have something I want, it's like tunnel vision to get it. So I I think I've always been that way in terms of being tenacious. And I, I do feel like I've always been very authentic as well. And all of the other ones. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about the employer brand that you've worked on for, uh, for Netflix. How, how would you describe, you know, the employer brand of Netflix, which is different from us just clicking the button and streaming all of the great shows and and movies that you all have? Yeah. I mean, I think I love storytelling and I think everybody has a really interesting story. You probably get that by interviewing people on this podcast. And yeah, I love getting to know my coworkers as human beings and getting to share their story on platforms. I think everyone has like a powerful message. Everyone has really interesting learnings that others can take away from. So I think it's really, it's really just showing that human side of things and, and showing how Netflix's unique culture can, can create amazing work together. And yeah, so I, I would say that's that's the primary root of it. And I love the creative side. You know, I we get to produce a lot of videos. We produce a podcast. We do social media. And so talk to me about someone who does branding, right, for an organization. What are some things that you do and you and your team do to build the brand or message the brand uh, that people could use for their own career? What What's some of that advice or those tips and tools that, you all use that someone else could use? 
Yeah. I mean, I think strategic wise, it's, it's putting things down pen to paper or typing these days, whatever it is, and, and really reflecting on who you are. You know, you have to like, when we look at a social platform, we think of what is the personality of that social platform? If it were a human being, what would the qualities be? And I think when you're working on your, your personal brand, even though I just said before, I've never actually thought about it, it did help to sit and reflect and put it down. And it was an interesting experience for me that I would recommend for other people as well, taking the time to, you know, really strategically think about that. And I think tactics wise, it's about building the foundations. You know, I, I think for me, little by little, like I've built a personal website, I've invested in my Instagram page and my Twitter profile I have LinkedIn, you have to get headshots, you have, you know, I have my professional resume, I have my creative resume. So little by little on the side, I've put in the effort to make those things. And it's actually very helpful when you go to do something for your brand that you have all that ready to go. For example, when I'm doing this podcast with you, you asked for a headshot. And luckily, I had headshots that are recent that I like of me that are professional looking and great, like that part is solved. So I think if you can do those things on the side, it's the strategic part and it's also the tactics part combined. Yeah, so it sounds like it's really, you have to have your arsenal of assets ready, right? Whether that's, yeah. you know, the written piece or even even having that that up-to-date headshot that is is super helpful. Mm-hmm. Now, you are a, uh, a filmmaker and a writer. So talk to me a little bit about the projects that you're working on. Yeah, so I am in the horror space. That is the genre that I love dearly. And I'm making and why my... is that? Why are you so into horror? I I like horror because I think it's fun to be scared. <laughs> I think it's also social commentary on the collective, you know, fears or concerns of that time and that location. Horror movies are almost like a social experiment where it's reflective of what's going on at that time. So when you look at horror movies, you know, from the 70s, it was very focused on serial killers, which at the time was a very common thing that was happening. When you look at horror films from the 50s, it was all around mutants and atomic bombs and so forth, which was reflective of the concerns of the Cold War and other things that were happening. Yeah. And when you look at horror movies from other countries, it's also very different. It's all very cultural. And I think horror and comedy are the two genres that do that, which is very fascinating to me. So I actually think, you know, a lot of people write off horror. I think it's actually very difficult to make, to write. Um, It has to be very smart. And I like where the genre has gone lately. And I want to, you know, be a part of that. So I'm making my first horror film this fall it's a gay horror short film and the main you know protagonist identifies both as middle eastern and gay like myself so i'm i'm excited to see myself reflected on screen in that genre yeah and tell me what's your favorite horror movie of all time oh that's a tough one uh, <laughs> i mean i have so many it really depends but i i think a staple to me in terms of suspense and the quality of filmmaking is The Shining. I think that's amazing. Mm. I feel like Scream totally switched things up and, you know, took the slasher film and flipped it on its head in a very smart way with comedy as well. I think Jordan Peele of Get Out, you know, he he just changed the game and it's, it's been amazing to see what he's done with his career. 
And even campy things, you know, I like I love Death Becomes Her. It's one of my favorite movies. <laughs> I, I wouldn't qualify that as horror, but it's at least somewhat in the same vein. And I, I think those types of fun, campy movies are also a good time as well. Yeah. Um, so, Amir, a couple of fun questions for you to close out. We've been talking mm-hmm. about uh, the brand that you've built at Netflix and your professional brand yourself. Uh, what's your favorite brand as a consumer? What brand can't you live without? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I really do love the Netflix brand, which is probably why I work there. So that would be one. Um, I think Nike does amazing things and I really like the stance that they take on different topics. And tell me why you love the Netflix brand, because obviously you, you, you aspired to work there too. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just really interesting to be able to see the world's stories in one place. So getting to watch, you know, things like Squid Game or Elite, you know, I'm watching shows and films from all different countries. And I probably would have never done that had it not been for Netflix and streaming. I I think it really opened a door, which has been great. So I I would say that's been like one of my favorite parts about it. And I think the revitalization of certain genres, you know, indie films and rom-coms, and there's a lot of, you know, areas where I feel like they've kind of brought them back to some degree. And that's been really great to see as well. Awesome. And then Amir, what is the best career advice you'd like to pass on to our listeners? Do everything you can to create, to keep creativity alive. You know, I I think a lot of times we get sidetracked or it's not part of our day-to-day job, but I, I find being creative so fulfilling and rewarding on the side with different hobbies and projects. So I think that, and it opens doors. So I, I think really you know, keeping creativity a a part of your, your day to day. Those would be my three. Awesome. Well, Amir Moini, thank you so much for your creativity and your tenacity and your authenticity uh, today. It was great connecting with you. Great to see you too. Thanks for having me on. And we'll be back in just a few moments with my final thoughts. Are you tired of not being recognized for your work? Are you ready to rise above the rest and accelerate to the next level? The Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program will help you take control of your career, develop your own unique brand, and catapult you to a whole new level of success. You are a top performer, and the Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program is what you need to get you there. Visit leadwithyourbrand.com to learn how. Wow, what an awesome conversation with Amir Mowini from Netflix's communications team. You know, it's been so fun seeing Amir really evolve and grow over the past 10 years since I've known him. And what really stood out to me about his story, and then as I reflect back, what I remember seeing him do as a young man and young professional when I first met him, is all about being tenacious and getting things done. You know, Amir reminded me that you just can't dream things 
you actually have to put them into action. I love that he hopped off a plane and was ready to throw on a suit and go to a volunteer event because that was how he was going to meet people. It made me think so many times about how even I love to procrastinate. I can have big ideas. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do a podcast. I should write a book. But you know what? I can sit and stew on those for days or months or years. And that doesn't matter. What matters is when you pick up, stand up, and put things into action. So that's my question to you. What are you going to do today and this week that gets you closer to your dreams and gets you closer to leading with the brand that you want to lead with? Well, that's our show for today. If you loved what you heard, make sure that you click follow on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll deliver another amazing episode every single Tuesday. Now, check me out on social media. I'm at Jason Patria on all platforms, and I love to post tons of tips and tricks of how you can lead with your brand to your next career breakthrough on LinkedIn. Most importantly, remember, in your career, don't be a boring old commodity like coffee. Make sure you are that super premium brand like Starbucks. You've been listening to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores and uncovers exceptional career success stories and inspiring personal brand journeys with your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Remember to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us at leadwithyourbrand.com.